You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Today, as we share in the Lord's Supper, we're going to be once again reminded what Christ has done for us. It's something we talk about often in church, isn't it? We celebrate that Christ died and rose again on our behalf to cleanse us from all our sin. But let me ask you at home, as well as the folks here in church, do you know Jesus' deepest heart longing for you? Do you live with an awareness in your life, not only of his marvelous saving deeds for your sinfulness, but also of his longing heart for you in your sinfulness? Oh, we know what Jesus came to do. Praise God for that today. But do we know the Jesus who came to do that for us? Think about the people we see around the town, around Macrofelt, in normal circumstances on a day-to-day basis. There's the lollipop lady, the girl who jogs past your home, the postman who delivers your mail, the woman who serves in the spa, the lady at the reception desk. Oh, we know them by the things they do. But do we know them in terms of who they are? Their heart, their lives, their characters. We know the jobs they do, but do we know them? Over these next few weeks, my longing is that we don't just come to know what Jesus did, but as two congregations, we come to know who Jesus is. And in so doing, come to love him more and serve him better. For if ever there was a season in church life when that was needed, it's right now. To have our hearts warmed, to have our souls stirred, our lives renewed, as we look to Jesus, not just as some sort of functional saviour who came to do a job and get on with it and get away, but as an incredibly personal saviour who came among us and came for us. For we must rid ourselves of the notion that the line, the God who came among us, is put away and packed in the attic with the Christmas decorations until next December. For Jesus is the God who came among us, but Jesus is still one of us. And that is seen very clearly in the passage we read today, and in particular, verses 28 to 30, which is our focus today. Please have those words open in front of you in whatever form you have it at home as we hear that Jesus invites us. The first thing that strikes us in these verses is that it is incredibly personal. Jesus is calling us to come to him. Look with me at verse 28. He says, come to me. Verse 28 again, I will give you rest. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you. Verse 29 again, learn from me. And the personal nature of this call is made all the more astounding by the person who actually makes it. A cursory glance at the verses that precede it reminds us. Look at verse 27, for example. God the Father has committed all things, everything, to the Son. Everything in heaven and on earth, above and beyond, everything is committed to the Son. No one is in such close relationship with God the Father as Jesus is. 
And we read in verse 27 that he's sovereign, that he's powerful, that he's not just like God, but that Jesus actually is God. He's at one with the Father. And Jesus' prayer of praise to his Father, even prior to that in verses 25 and 26, is a staggering invitation that offers to us and reminds us of the nature of the one who does the calling. Jesus alone has access to the Father in heaven. No one else has access to the Father apart from Jesus. Jesus alone connects sinful humanity with sinless glory, which means the resources that he is about to share with us through this gracious invitation are not only incredibly personal, but staggeringly generous. Jesus, God among us, says to us, do you hear the words? Come to me. That's so simple, isn't it? Come to me. Jesus wants us close. Jesus says to us, come right over from wherever you are in life right now to be right here, right now, with me. And you notice that Jesus isn't asking us to change our opinions, but he is asking us to change positions. Whoever you are, wherever you are, he says, come to me. I want you, Jesus, I want you right here, bound up with me, as close as you possibly can be with me. You can't be in, help being struck by the personal nature of a call like that. Come to me. Jesus emphasizes there are only two persons in you. There's you, says Jesus, and there's me, says Jesus. There's no one else. There's nothing between you and Jesus. Let everyone else in your living room or your kitchen or wherever you are, let everyone else just vanish for a moment. Don't think about the other people around church who need to hear this message. You need to hear it. I need to hear it. This is personal for, for you right now, wherever you are. In this moment, no matter what age you are, whether you're three or 93, you need to hear this message. Jesus says, come to me. There are just two persons being spoken of here, you and Jesus, no one else. Not your family, not your friend from church, not your granny, not your best friend's mate, you and him. Are you standing with Jesus right now? Are you ready to transact heavenly business with him right now? Yes, you and Jesus. No one else. There's just the two of you inside. Are you prepared in 2021 not just to know about him, but to live life with him? As close as you possibly can with him. Where else have you been standing recently? Who else have you been identifying with recently? Who else have you been hiding with? Where have you been in your life in these last weeks or months or years? To him we may come, just as we are today, without anybody else to recommend us to him or plead for us or speak up for us or persuade him for us or make a bridge for us. Jesus said, I am here. Won't you come? You, yes, you, whoever you are, as you are, come to me again. 
Come to me. And some of you need to hear that for the very first time. For some of you have never been drawn to Jesus before. But also many of us need to come back to him for the umpteenth time. For we've been drawn away from him during 2020. And as you stand or sit there and are reminded of who he is, God in human flesh calling you near, there is spiritual work to be done in all of us today because of this incredibly personal call. You, says Jesus, and me, says Jesus. And why should we come to Jesus? Why should we get close with you? Why should we be bound up with Jesus? Well, considering that this is Jesus, God among us, the sovereign Lord and creator of the universe, sending us an open invitation to draw near to him, that should be enough, shouldn't it? That should be enough for us to convince us to come. He wants us there. But when we read of the kind of God he is, when we get to the heart of God as he reveals himself to us in Matthew 11, verse 29, then nothing should keep us away. Look at Matthew 11, verse 29. Jesus says, I'm gentle, and I'm humble in heart. Friends, this is the only place in the whole of the Gospels where Jesus shares his heart with us. It's the only place. Nowhere else in the Gospel do we read of Jesus talking about his heart. This takes us to the very core of our Christian faith because it takes us to the very core of Christ, the very heart of Jesus. In fact, this takes us to the epicenter of the God. This draws us right into what God is like in his inner being. This is holy ground that we're invited on to. And as we read of how God among us reveals his heart to us, we see a God who is not demanding and austere, not a God who is exalted or dignified, joyful or generous, but at the heart of God. You see the heart of God here? This is reverent and entirely biblical. Because Jesus reveals it to us. Jesus says of himself, the Godhead, I am gentle and humble. Have you ever thought of God like that? Gentle? Humble? If there is nothing else we learn of his character today, then that is enough, isn't it? For the word heart here carries such weight across the Old and New Testaments. Jesus hearers would have known that in speaking of the heart in ancient times, Jesus is not referring to the old ticker in here, but rather he's referring to what makes people tick. What gets them out of bed in the morning? What makes them them? As Dave was saying with the children earlier, what makes number one in their life? And it's not part of who they are, but defines who they are. It drives everything a person is and does. And so Jesus chooses to reveal to us what makes him tick. Genuinely, that's what this verse tells us. This shows us what makes Jesus tick. That's incredible, isn't it? It's gentleness that makes Jesus tick. It's humility that makes Jesus tick. What makes him the God he is among us is that he's gentle and humble. His humility and gentleness drives everything else he does. That's the kind of God that we've got. And the word gentle is exactly the same word as meek in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. It's also the word described as Jesus approaches Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. We read that he enters in Matthew 21 gently, humbly. Here is a king, the royal Messiah, 
the sent one from heaven who will rule this world arriving among us and he is not trigger happy he's not exasperated he's not reactionary he's not coming down with an iron fist or a pointed finger but he's coming with open arms saying come to me come to me he says gently and as for humble in heart it's exactly the same idea that's expressed around all those Christmas narratives relating to Mary and her song in Luke chapter 1 and 2. The despised Nazareth, the little town of Bethlehem, no room in the inn, one who is lowly. It's the term for one who steps right down, one who's an outsider, one who is low, one who is unimpressive socially, but someone who is entirely relatable to people like you and me. Someone who's right down at our level. Someone who gets our pain. Someone who understands us whenever we're in poverty. Someone who understands hurt and hard times. That's the heart of Jesus. For in all his glory, there is no one more approachable. Come to me, he says humbly. It's incredibly personal, isn't it? Jesus is incredibly personal. We hear his call directly to us. For whenever we see his heart revealed, it's open to us. One so high has drawn so near. And you know, he does not cringe at touching dirty sinners and those who have been numbed by life's sufferings. That God should come to seek rebel sinners with no words of condemnation on his lips, but rather with gentle, humble words here of invitation. Come to me. It's breathtaking. It's staggering. Friends, you are not going to get a better offer all of 2021. I assure you of that. Than the words of Jesus when he says, come to me. I'm gentle. I'm humble in heart. Secondly, this invitation from Jesus is reassuringly realistic. Reassuringly realistic. Look at verse 28. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We all experience it, don't we? All of us do at different times. We'd be liars if we said we didn't. That deep soul weariness in different ways, for different reasons, in different seasons. Sometimes you can pinpoint the significant factor that's led to that weariness. It might be a weariness resulting from a whole piling up of stuff, a multi-layered intersection of, of life's complexity, all coming in at once, and we just feel that we're going to be crushed under the weight of it. It might be illness or emotional heartbreak. It could be the consequence of our own sin or a guilt that hangs over us. It could be living in just continual disappointment over things we had hoped and then our hopes are dashed, our frustrations. Maybe people just are tired and fed up. I think I sense that more this week as we go into this lockdown 2.0 or whatever they're calling it than ever before. People just are feeling it more. People with baggage. People just feeling sagged and weighed down. But then there's also the other kind of baggage and burden that we all bring with us. I worry for people, you know, that the baggage of comparison. There'll be parents who raise their kids in church, but they have left the faith, and now those same parents look around with jealousy, seeing how other people are getting on with life in lockdown, but you're in a bit of a mess, you feel. For others, it might be the baggage of marriage. 
the person you're married to is not who you thought he or she was. And it has led to a life of daily strife and mutual disappointment and outbursts of anger. It could be the baggage of a young person who maybe feels they've just screwed life up and they've only reached their early 20s with a carefree, couldn't be bothered attitude and they just don't know where they're going. It could be the baggage of old age. Maybe when life just seems to be a burden for you at the moment, a shoulder to carry on your back every day, your body screams at you whenever you walk. Or it could be the baggage of supposed failure. You feel you've let people down. It could be the baggage of always wanting to achieve or advance, being thoroughly bored and discontent. Maybe you're not able to relax. It could be the baggage of expectation from your parents or your schoolmates or your friends. It could be the baggage of sexual frustration or confusion, working out who you are as social media bombard you with images and an agenda of, of what love looks like, an expression whilst you see it on one side, but you know what the Bible says on the other, and there's just a baggage, there's a weight on you at the moment. Or it could be the heavy burdens of life, the baggage just of being at the minute. But also I want to introduce to you another baggage that Matthew talks about. It's a baggage that's referred to in Matthew 23, verse 4, where we read about the religious leaders. And Jesus says of them, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to help them. I find it interesting, the baggage and the burden that Jesus speaks about there, he condemns the teachers of the law, the, the Jewish ministers of religion for making life heavier and more burdensome for people rather than directing them to the humility and gentleness of Jesus. These religious folk were saying that in order to be a good Jew or a better Jew, you had to do this, or you better do that, or you better wear this, or, or don't eat that, or don't go there, or you must avoid that. They were adding to the faith and causing the ordinary man and woman in the street to feel weighed down, broken under expectations, feeling hopeless and hurt and heartbroken. Said, I could never do that. And Jesus warns us over that. As a pastor, as Christians, we are not to add to people's burdens. We are not to heap a list of Northern Irish Protestant cultural nonsense on the people's shoulders saying you can't go there and you mustn't do that and you must vote this way or you must think that way or you can't be doing that or the one thing that burdens me most at the minute. We need to be so cautious and careful in our Instagram and Facebook posts and our daily attitudes that we don't end up condemning Christians who maybe do not hold the same point of view as us in relation to the virus and vaccines or baptism or whatever it might be. Do you know how many hundreds of thousands of young people and unbelievers we have scared off from the Christian faith because we've made it all about the burdens that we heap on people instead of them and simply invited them to find Jesus? We keep on telling you, you must do this to be a good Christian, and you've got to be that to be a good Christian. And we pile on the burdens. And Jesus says, no, come to me. We have turned so many people away whilst Jesus stands there inviting us. Friends, today, there are many, many of you I know are aching in heart, empty, lonely, guilty, 
deep insecurity. Friends, the very thing you're struggling with today is your very qualification to come. Yes, even if it's your sin. For those who are on their way to heaven with Jesus are those who have first of all fallen on their face before him and said, I know I deserve hell. It is only pride that will stop us coming to Jesus. It is not his heart that keeps us away, for he is gentle and humble. But it's our pride. We don't want to admit our sin, our struggles, our burdens, our weariness. But the burdened and the weary, the ones who are about to give up and have nowhere to run, Jesus says, that is your very qualification for accessing my love. Dear friend in La Comfort and Union Road today, how are you today? No, no, really. Really, how, how are you? Don't just do the thing that you do, do at the door of church. Oh, I'm doing all right, thanks. No, how are you? Be honest. Because Jesus is reassuringly realistic. He isn't asking you to clean up and come to him. He isn't asking you to dry your eyes and come to him. He isn't asking you to sort out your life and come to him. He isn't asking you to straighten things out and come to him or deal with your mess and come to him. He's asking you to come with tears streaming in your sin, with life broken, in all your mess. He asks you to come like that. He's saying, come with it all and dump it in front of me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. What an invitation. For you. Yes, for, for you. It's personal for you in your deep soul weariness. It's for you. Thirdly, finally, when we accept this personal invitation, we receive a peace that is powerful and a rest that is wonderful. A peace that is powerful and a rest that is wonderful. For our Lord Jesus Christ is a burden lifter not a burden imposer. Jesus says in these verses, look at them with me again, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's usually about this time of year that those adverts start, isn't it? Right across our TVs and in our glossy magazines, you know, from Sandals Resort in the Caribbean our luxury hideaways in the Seychelles. And there it is, all laid out before you in that sun-drenched charm. How incredibly appealing that all seems to us here on this depressing January morning. The perfect unspoilt beach with a waist-coated waiter carrying your ice-cold drinks to your secluded beach house just as the sun is setting. Everything looks idyllic. It's as if the advert is saying to me, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Come to me, and, and I'll give you rest. And our hearts are drawn to places like this, even now as we consider it. Wouldn't that be wonderful? So restful, so reassuring, so inviting. And as the photograph pans out and you survey the scene, have you ever noticed that the people there are always bronzed and beautiful and young and slim and fit? 
They're the last people who need to be there. Says the middle-aged minister with his extra Christmas padding. He's found a few more grey hairs and had more sleepless nights and associated ageing pains and aches in the last month than ever before. Come to me. Come to me. But what is it that really gives us peace? Where do we really find rest? Well, the rest we read about here is the Hebrew picture of strings that have been tightened and then loosened on a musical instrument. We should maybe talk to our guitarist more about what that looks like. But you know that the tension that's needed if you are someone who played a stringed instrument, and you know when the tension needs tightened and eased, when it needs to be taut and it needs rest, the relief from that feeling that it's almost a breaking point, but not quite. Funny, a number of years ago when I was clearing out my mum's house, I find, you know, one of those balls of elastic bands, but it had obviously been there for years. But the big one that was round the edge had obviously been there, I don't know, it could even have been for decades. But the moment I went to touch it, it just snapped. It had been holding things tight for years. And then just with a touch, poof. And maybe some of you feel you're like that at the moment. You're like that elastic band. You've been, you know and you're taught and then all it would take is for someone just to say something and suddenly you go boom and you need a release from that crushing weight maybe it's of comparison or dissatisfaction a relief from the crippling nature of anxiety or the misery of your own sin or the things that are just really bothering you at the minute and Jesus is drawing us into the very essence of the comfort of the gospel here for the rest he promises is not an end to life's troubles, but it's a bringing us into a place from which we can face all of life's troubles. In some of the best commentaries on Matthew's gospel, I was intrigued by the suggestion that above the door of Joseph's carpentry workshop in the despised town of Nazareth was a sign that read this, Our yokes are easy and the burdens are light. I quite like the thought of that. It's probably not true. It's probably just been a myth that's come down. But I like the thought of that, that over that workshop in Nazareth was that title. Because all of us know the farmer in the ancient Near East was always in pursuit of the best yoke. In fact, if you talk to many folks around here, they're still in pursuit of the best yoke too, aren't they? But in those days, it was that huge wooden frame that sat across the broad necks of those great beasts that plowed the fields. It was the farmer's nightmare with the buy a yoke that was going to be too tight, too restrictive, too rough, that annoyed the cattle in their plowing and prevented them from doing their work. A good-fitting yoke made the work easier. And Jesus is making the same point here. In responding to his invitation to come to him, we receive another yoke. But it's not a yoke that rubs or sits uncomfortably across our shoulders. It's a yoke that's personally fitted for us. For you see, he takes our ill-fitting yokes of sin and suffering and disappointment and despair and disease and doubts and fears and death and separation, and he takes that yoke, and he takes that yoke on his back, and he walks with it all the way along the road to Golgotha. And he takes our yokes, and our yokes rub against him. And our yokes end up being like that ugly wooden frame that digs deep into his back and splinters 
that go into his already lacerated skin. And as the thorns push down on his head and the nails make it more agonizing to move, Jesus takes our yokes. And he takes them upon himself. And he carries our wooden frame. He takes our cross of sin and shame. Jesus dies the sinner's death. The strings of peace and rest snap for Jesus at Calvary. For him, where he received not peace, but pain. Not relief, but Jesus received rebuke. Not an invitation from heaven, but condemnation from heaven. Jesus takes our yoke, but he offers us his yoke. He takes our heavy, ill-fitting, deadly yoke, and we are offered his lightweight yoke of forgiveness and acceptance and release. As J.C. Ryle describes, I love this, the yoke we receive from him is no more a burden to us than feathers are to a bird. Not beautiful. It doesn't add to our yoke, it doesn't add to our heaviness, but it's like feathers to a bird. It gives us freedom to fly and live and be who we're meant to be. The releasing of strain, the easing of tension, that payment for sin, that easy yoke, that lighter burden, that Christ has paid it all, that huge stain across our lives that condemns us before God has been wiped clean. Jesus offers to lift that weight from us, to take it off our aching backs, to take it off our sagging lives, to lift it from our sagging consciences. This is the remedy for every misery that can never be bettered or exhausted. Friends, it's personal from Jesus, and it's an incredible offer from Jesus. Far too many of us choose to continually pick up our own yokes each day and do our own thing and try to work life out our way, and then we come to the end of another day feeling that we've just got that huge, heavy rub and exhaustion across our shoulders, and we finish each day feeling raw instead of coming back each morning and putting on his yoke, the yoke of salvation and freedom and forgiveness that brings rest to our weary souls. At the heart of Christianity is Christ himself. And today we've been reminded of his heart. We need to come personally to a person, to Jesus. No one else can give us such rest. And if you think that Church is all about being together. And then when that doesn't happen like today, we end up frustrated. Let me remind you, only Jesus gives you rest. If you think that church is all about outreach and mercy and mission, we will end up just being exhausted trying to do it. Only Jesus gives us rest. If you think that the Christian life is all about exciting spiritual experiences, those fuzzy feelings and mountaintop experiences, then when that doesn't happen and you get down, you blame everyone else, the music, the preacher, the style. Let me tell you, only Jesus gives you rest. Everything else in life is going to let you down at some point. Everything. Only one has ever been able to say, come to me and I will give you rest. And his offer stands to all of us watching today. We don't deserve it, but he gives it. Dean Ortland, in the introduction to his book, Gentle and Lowly, puts it like this. Those whose Christian lives feel like constantly running up a descending escalator, those of us who find ourselves thinking, how could I mess up this bad again? 
For those of us who know God loves us, but suspect we have deeply disappointed him, who have told others of the love of Christ, yet wonder if, as for us, he harbors a mild resentment, who have been swept off our feet by perplexing pain and are wondering how we can keep living under such numbing darkness. In other words, this invitation today is for normal people, people like you and me, for sinners and sufferers. And as we listen to Jesus, we hear the gentle, lowly beat of Jesus' loving heart as we listen to his words. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will, I will give you rest. Won't you come? Let's pray together.